This is the Hunt, Fish, Conserve podcast, hosted by Ethan Evans and Tyler Swenson. Today we are interviewing Cindy Dahl, also known as Ethan's girlfriend. She is a wedding and elopement photographer with a passion for the outdoors and conservation, traveling, and cooking. Cindy here is here to also discuss being a woman in the outdoors, traveling to national parks for cheap, dealing with a significant other who likes to hunt and fish, leave no trace principles, and wild game cooking. Yeah, so our first guest on the podcast. Uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time to join us, Sydney. Um, can you can we just start off telling us a little bit about where you started? Yeah. Um, so first, I'm gonna put out a little. Um, I'm super disappointed in the first episode because my name wasn't mentioned. Yeah, she was really upset about this. Um, yeah, I definitely I would, heard about it. <laughs> I, I would she like. She was our first negative review. <laughs> I would like to take some credit for getting Ethan involved in the outdoors. Like he would not have traveled to half the places that he has if it weren't for me. Yeah, but on the I, flip side, I don't know if Sydney would have traveled to half those places um, if it wasn't for me. I planned all of those fly fishing trips, so you can't. You can't tell me otherwise. They were not good spots. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, um, I think that I contributed a lot to your outdoor adventure so far. Um, I guess I was just nervous and I just wanted my first podcast. So that's where I'll kind of lead to about why I didn't say it. Okay. So I was waiting. I was actually waiting for you to come on to just clear everything up. Okay. Okay. Um, well, anyway, um, so I'm Sid, um, I'm currently a senior in college studying public health and nonprofit management, and I'm also a full-time wedding and elopement photographer specializing in capturing love stories in nature. Um, I'm also going to say I'm a lot this whole podcast, so just, just yeah, to tell you. we're going to leave that up to an audio producer <laughs> yep. to see if we can take care of that. So, um, I grew up hunting and fishing with my dad and grandpa, and I used to camp with my family and friends. And over the past few years, I found a passion for backpacking, fly fishing, hiking, and traveling to national parks. So going back to the beginning, um, as a child, I did a lot of turkey hunting with my dad and my grandpa. We also duck hunted. I sat in a deer stand for hours on end, especially during youth season in uh, northern Minnesota. It was horrible. How many deer you shoot? <laughs> I actually have never shot a deer. How many squirrels you shoot? A lot. Uh, little red squirrels up in Baudette, Minnesota. You got a couple of grouse to your name up there, though. Yep. So grouse, duck, turkey. Boom fucking. Yep. Boom fucking. That's what my dad says. Um, but I also did a lot of fishing as a kid. We only basically fish for northerns in my family, northern pike. But once I met you, I started fishing for trout on a fly rod. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where it started. I know this is kind of put you on a spot, but like, do you have a good story to tell about any of those adventures? Like things that stick out to you? Well, one, um, the first time I went duck hunting with my dad, I was 11 or 12 years old. I was just big enough to hold a gun. And we, you know, we got up super early and we were sitting in the blind. Some ducks came flying in. I couldn't shoot them out of the sky because I was a child. Water um, smacking. Yeah. So they landed I and I shot. Um, and I fell right on my butt. Like the, the kick, the the kick. kick of the gun <laughs> knocked me right on my butt. Were Uh-oh. you in the water? No. Oh. Out of the boat. Okay. No, we were on a beach, actually. Oh. Like, what be- where it, was, <laughs> it, it was like a... Close to where you live? Yeah, it was okay. on State Line Lake in Emmons, Minnesota. Spot burn. Uh, <laughs> now we're gonna go spot burner. Well, that lake is trash now. Yeah. But anyway, 
yeah, so I shot my first two ducks with my dad at like 11 or 12 years old, fell on my butt as I shot the gun, stood back up, and I go, did I get them? And I did, and I named them both. It was <laughs> after you killed them? Like after you like I killed them by the head? Yep, them. after I killed them, I had two ducks in my hands, and it was like Henry and something else. I know one was Henry, though. So I got a couple of questions about that. Does that kind of like lead to the wedding and elopement photographer? Because I feel like that's a pretty unique niche. For sure. Part of the industry there. And being in the outdoors, like that definitely segues into that or what from a young age? I don't think I knew that I wanted to be a wedding and elopement photographer until I started to care more about the outdoors and be more active in the outdoors. I started out as a wedding photographer, like, you know, shooting in all the venues and pretty traditional yeah the huge 200 plus person weddings and i still do a few of those here and there um but i think once i started having these epic experiences in the outdoors i really wanted to channel my creativity and turn my business that way so uh all that all that hunting and fishing you talked about growing up do you think that was a big influence on why you love to travel and backpack and hike because a lot of people like to travel, but the backpacking and hiking is a totally different element of it. 100%. Um, as a kid, I mean, growing up in the 2000s, early 2000s, we were forced to be outside. You know, it yeah. wasn't. We were sitting on our phones. Um, so, and I was always, I was always a tomboy. I'm not kidding. I probably didn't wear a shirt until I was six years old. <laughs> Like, I would get home from kindergarten. Still doesn't. <laughs> I would get home. <laughs> shut up. I would get home from school and literally, like, rip my clothes off and run outside. Like, I just wanted to be outside. And I was a major tomboy. I was the one picking up worms, running around. I also didn't wear shoes until I was probably 12. That's awesome because, you know, from my perspective, seeing all the adventures you and Ethan have gone gone on already, it's kind of a unique relationship. You know, you don't see that that often going going on all these trips together hiking you know sharing those same interests and even spiking some interests in fly fishing i mean do you think you'd ever be into fly fishing if it wasn't for ethan no so um growing up i was a strict it's one point for northern northern (laughs) pike like out of a boat trolling motor gal and that's all we did. Like we, rip and lift. we wanted to rip lips. We wanted to try to catch the biggest fish. But you and guys were also like, you guys would eat pike too, which is yeah, we maybe not very common for everybody. No. I literally had fish last night or two nights ago for dinner. Pike? We had pike. <laughs> that's like that's awesome. what, I don't know. That's the only fish we really eat in my house. Um, not a lot of people know how to clean them, but. How many fish have you cleaned? Usually? Zero. How many turkeys have you cleaned? Zero. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing. Okay. Yeah. I may be like this hunter fisher woman but also i don't like to touch what i kill except <laughs> trout i will touch trout if i have to yeah but you, you kind of came accustomed to that you can a little bit better yeah i just i absolutely hate slimy fish and i'll carry like a turkey over my shoulder but i won't like she'll pose for the picture uh, yeah i'll pose for the picture <laughs> i won't gut anything i won't touch anything bloody that's well, my dad's just the job other day i asked you if you'd help me process a deer you said yeah well yeah but that's when it's already meat you know oh. like i'll put it through the processor and crank it and you, make you it won't meat. you won't meet him out in the field and 
So you like don't like seeing like the face and like the attachment or what? Or just like it just gross to you? I think it's just gross. Oh. Animals are cute though. Okay, actually funny story. Sidetrack. Um, I go to school in Duluth and graduating in May. But Ethan and I always go up the shore um, to hike and fish and whatnot. And for steelhead. If for, yeah. Um, and on our way up the shore, there was a deer in the middle of the road. It had just been hit by a car and I start crying and I'm like, Ethan, we have to help it. We have to help it. It was still alive. Like oh. the two back legs were broken. That was pretty sad. Yeah, so I called, sad. I called the DNR and I said, Hey, we're at this place. There's a steer in the middle of the road. Like it's going to cause an accident. It's literally in the middle. No one's slowing down for it. It just got hit. And then you know what the DNR told me? They literally told me, Oh, let nature take its course. And I am just sobbing in the in the passenger seat. I'm like, we have wow. to help it. We have to. And it was it was just so sad. It was trying to like pull itself into the ditch. It was really sad. But yeah, so that, that, that's a good topic to bring up though, and like the discussion between like that because the deer was suffering. So we were yeah. sympathizing with it. Well, more I just like, yeah. More like if you were to shoot it, and it would be like three seconds of pain and then done. I don't yeah. think you would have felt bad about that. No, I just don't like to see things suffer. And I, then, you know, then then you know, it's like you kind of start to like put this thought process in your head where you're like, "Oh, that meat's gonna go to waste," or I mean, I know other animals are gonna use it, but well, and then the worst part was we were driving back on the way and it was getting eaten by a bird. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty sad. I've seen that same exact thing on my way to college. It was a deer. It was sitting in the middle of two lane traffic, and he was just sitting there because he must have got hit, couldn't move. It was pretty sad. How about um talking about wild game cooking? What was like one meal that you like really loved for wild game when you were growing up? Um, so we are big turkey hunters in my family, and we always ate hot turkey sandwiches, and that was a big. It's probably still my favorite meal, one of my favorite meals that my mom makes. But that kind of stemmed from like you like dad bringing home a tough turkey one day, right? No, it's always been a thing, but we just make it. Okay, so basically what it is, it's like pulled pork, but it's pulled turkey, and it's super cheesy, like cream cheese. Really? It's so good. That sounds really good. And the, like, okay, when you have a super old turkey and it's really tough, that's the best way to eat it because it's just like pulled turkey. Yeah, because I I have heard some bad things about old wild turkey. You know, they're tough and they don't taste as good. Just shoot the jakes, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So. Problem solved. (laughs) Yeah, we make a lot of hot turkey sandwiches in our house. It's literally just like Velveeta cheese, cream cheese, lots of cheese, and butter. And it goes in with this shredded turkey. And it's literally like a pulled pork, but turkey and Can cheese. Can we get you for a video episode if we bag a turkey this year? Can we sure. make that? Sure, sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to You just to make it in a big that. pot. <laughs> Super easy. Um, and then in terms of other things that I make, well... That's another thing. Ethan claimed that he was the cook in the last, in the first episode. I do pretty much all of the cooking of the game. All the wild game he brings back? Yeah. Not Tr- gonna lie. Trout, goose, not, Okay, ducks. not fish. I don't do, I've done some awesome, like, crusted, Parmesan-crusted trout, but, like, I do, like, the goose. Yeah. The reason I like cooking with Cindy is because a lot of other people in my family actually do not love wild game. So, Cindy's, like, kind of a nice one to share a meal with. But no. she also is a really good cook, so. Nobody nobody in my family likes to eat anything that I bring home. Well, mom mom likes to eat the fish, but, you know, the goose and the ducks. Uh, actually, my girlfriend, um, she she is willing to try a lot of the stuff I bring home, and that, that makes me really happy because I always bring stuff home, and dad goes, 
He's like, oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> I was like, you want a bite? Yeah. Can't even get him to try it. Really, though. You were kind of shocked in the goose, though, because that was like the first Canada goose you had, right? Yeah. I can't even remember what we did to that. We just made it taste good. We just made it taste good. But in terms of like duck, my favorite way to cook it is I make it into these little duck bites. So you cube it up and you put them in a crock pot. Um, barbecue sauce, wrap them in bacon. Super You're making good. me hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. But that's about... So you're going to be our head chef on the show. Yeah, sure. If you ever get yeah, into we, videos. We need, a, we need a head chef. Yeah. If you ever gonna, get into We're going to do videos. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You, you can even be the head chef and the video producer. Mm, no? We'll see. <laughs> can we sign her on for that? <laughs> we got a contract right here. I'm, I'm better with photos, <laughs> okay. not video. Yeah, she actually has managed to make me look good in quite a few pictures. I'll tell you what. One of the best pictures I have of myself, Sydney took on the trout stream. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah that that one i sent you oh that was that one that us, is one us thing we went to uh what was it waterloo creek and yeah that was a good picture yeah i definitely want to get into more outdoor like adventure stuff i do a lot of photography on our own trips um of course ethan can't get any good pictures of me but um, <laughs> i was gonna yell that <laughs> um she's like fishing. why can't you she's like why can't you do this but i mean <laughs> if you're a big brand a big outdoor brand like i don't know go hunt no yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you're if you're listening um i'm your i'm your gal <laughs> i i will be your content creator and they are awesome pictures yeah i will say you i all the pictures i've seen of you two on your trips they're always great i'm definitely maybe, maybe not the ones that ethan takes but the yeah. very few anyways i'm trying to do more landscape and just epic adventure stuff yeah we're, we're getting there yeah we we are there <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, talk about women outdoors okay what like what's your perspective on it um because so, I, well, I guess let's just start from like this like when you were young did any of your other friends hunt no not really i mean other other than like going fishing with your dad or your grandpa you really don't see any other aspects of it of no. going going fishing or hunting. i mean even now yeah. like i i'm not even kidding out of all my friends i'm the only one who like will fish like especially by myself yeah. like yeah. or a lot of my friends haven't even heard of fly fishing and that's crazy too yeah so it's i mean it's a hobby for sure. It's not like I'm super great at it, but um, being a woman in the outdoors. Well, well, before we get into that, like, how about did like any other of your friends like think it was weird that you were out like hunting and fishing or no? No, yeah, but I do have a roommate who has a major fear of fish, so like she can't even imagine. Fear of fish. <laughs> yes, like, it's how real. Does that work? It's real. She won't touch That's them. That's a real thing. Yeah, she won't go in a lake because she's afraid of fish. Is there like a is there like an actual medical? I don't term know. For that, is I it wonder? a phobia? Yeah. I don't know, but I mean. Wait, how about um? Was it? It's your sister doesn't like something about fish either, right? Yeah, my sister also. Well, she'll go fishing for northerns if she knows that she's gonna catch a big one. So so northerns are an exception. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally my family. I'm not even joking. <laughs> yeah, but like your roommate, it's like she doesn't even want to like go in the water if she knows the fish is in there. No, that's what I mean. It's like a weird phobia. Like yeah. no lakes. Weird. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of my friends, they're they're into the outdoors. Pretty much all my friends like to hike, but and some like to camp. But besides that, not many people are, I would say, like hunters or fisher women. So do you think that's more like the stigma <laughs> around it? Or like there's just like hasn't been introduced the right way? Or is it like 
you don't want to be a girl who likes to fish or hunt. I think their families just don't do it. Okay. So they haven't had that introduction. But and, and you know, that's why I originally said it's unique because not often do you see girls like Sydney, um, especially around where we live, that pursue that kind of stuff. Even even though you said you're not that great at it, but at least take interest in it. Well, I mean, being I from Duluth duluth is kind of like millennial hipster central and you know if you aren't a fly fisherman or a like i don't even skier or snowshoer <laughs> like if you aren't participating in some sort of outdoor activity you're almost considered <laughs> weird yeah. and so it's funny i actually um when i f- first started fly fishing i actually shot an elopement of a woman who was super into steelhead fishing um and her and i are still kind of in communication but she's the first woman that i ever like actually got to talk to in person that also fly fished yeah because fly fishing in general even for me all the friends that i have and all the people who i've met not many people fly fish or know about fly fishing i mean also i'm gonna drop this too i don't tie any of my own flies i don't even tie my flies really on ethan ethan does it i have just like we're kind of working on. okay i will do my knots if i have to but i don't want to so i'll hand it to him he ties on some of my flies what a what a saint he he puts up with a lot out of me but um yeah if you really want to test your patience as an outdoorsman like bring your girlfriend and little brother along and you'll really see how many nods. There's half of the time, there's no time for fishing yeah. yourself. Okay, but I have actually gotten pretty good. You got to admit, yeah, my casts go. are fire. Last yeah. last time I was fishing with you, Sydney, you caught more fish than either Ethan and I combined. <laughs> yeah, she's always got that luck. Because she, she, picks, she picks one hole yeah. and sticks it out and catches, you know, me and you are jumping around and trying all this fancy stuff and she's like just gonna swing the same fly yeah. and i'll give her a lot of credit she actually hooked more steel than i did this year and even landed one i did but um i actually before we like before we go too too deep down that rabbit hole i really want to say like i applaud your dad for like just treating you just like a normal person like a normal guy and like taking you to the outdoors because i feel like some dads like wouldn't do that like take their girl out to the outdoors I don't know. Um, I would like to say that I was probably considered the little boy. <laughs> yeah. I was the boy your dad never had. Yep. Um, you know, my sister's a girly girl. She likes the fashion, the makeup, and I was always the one who wanted to go out hunting and fishing with him, which I think he really liked. As I got older I didn't have as much time like being at school and stuff to go deer hunting or turkey hunting. I actually went because of quarantine in twenty twenty. I actually had time to go turkey hunting with my dad, which was awesome. I went one day. We saw a lot of turkeys. Yeah. So we always see a bunch of turkeys. Don't ever shoot many. (laughs) I shoot. Yeah, you shoot. I shoot. You may not. But yeah, I I don't really know if I have anything to say regarding that. I think that he was just an awesome dad and he wanted to instill that love for the outdoors. I mean, he is super active. Like he's on um, the Lake Restoration Committee and he teaches gun safety and he does like highway cleanup. He's super active in the community and in the outdoors. And I think he wanted to instill that in me as well. Yeah. So let's just talk about like, what is your perspective on fly fishing and then being also a woman in the sport for it? Um. Okay, well, being a woman in this sport, 
that come i mean this year especially i've realized that there's more people than i think like more women than i think fly fishing um but just in the last like year or two is when i've started to get into fly fishing and of course you have to start buying your gear and getting all geared up and the one thing yeah the (laughs) one thing that i had an issue with was finding waders that fit because they were all either way too big like they were meant or like they just didn't fit right so i feel like outdoor companies have a long ways to go when it comes to making waders and selling women's fly fishing products I did find a pair that fit. Was that Reddington? Reddington, Reddington. is the only company that makes women products, I think, right? I have no idea. I think, actually, I think Orvis does. Orvis might. Yeah. I didn't know that was an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I sent like two pairs back. They were just like, they didn't fit in the right places. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That was a weird thing to can't find. Can't relate. You yeah, guys can't, can't relate. relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I found a pair and it all works out. And I do think that there are more companies that are starting to strive to be more inclusive for women. Yeah, like the Orvis 50-50 on the water and stuff yep. like that. There's a lot of good initiatives out there. but Yeah, that's interesting because I've definitely not heard of that being a problem or even thought thought about that. You yeah. know, I just, I just go to... F- fleet farm and buy cheap waders for now but yeah well, I mean, like, we don't really we just have a bunch of luxuries being yeah i guess yeah also it's just funny too because when ethan and i are out on the water like we travel to go fly fish all these places yep. and like immediately the men will like turn to him and because i i rarely see women out on the water yeah, and when rarely. i do it's like oh my god and another- even, in, even in these big spots like jackson hole we were at or glacier i mean you don't see many women doing it no even in the popular areas no but what I was saying is that, like, all these men who get off the river, you know, they turn to Ethan and they say, like, oh, how was the water? What was, like, you know, what'd you catch? All this stuff. And I'm like, why aren't you talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> like, I guarantee I probably caught more than him. Not saying I'm a better, because I'm not. I'm not better than him. But also, for some reason, that's just always how it works out. I, I may not catch the biggest fish, but I always catch the most fish. You I will, do. You're, you're actually really persistent, too. I'll give you a lot of credit for that. Yeah. You're never like one of those people like, oh my God, it's 10 minutes in and we haven't caught a fish. Like, let's get going. Yeah, I don't know, but it's just frustrating. Um, okay, actually, I'm over it, but I mean... Because, I mean, this spring, I mean, we were probably on the water for at least, like, what, probably 10 hours a day when we were fishing for steelhead. I mean, last, I those, yeah, last year. I know those are kind of grueling, but... I mean, it's fun when it you out. know that you're going to, like, you're hopefully going to catch one. It looked cold. Um... So I guess next topic, not to switch things up, but you guys travel a lot. You guys have traveled to many locations, and Ethan always tells me kind of how cheap those trips are, or at least how you guys make those trips cheap. So how do you how do you do it? What's the key? Yeah, so I'm a major planner. Like, I do not go a day of my life without planning something out, Um and that includes trips. I travel for business. I am a photographer, so I also do some traveling for that. Um, but in my personal life, I always plan everything out. Like literally route where we're going to stop, where we're going to eat, where we're going to stay, what hikes we're doing on each day, where we're going to fish, like to the T, hour by hour. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I like to have a plan. Um, so I guess traveling for cheap, 
planning ahead is a huge thing for me because I start looking months in advance. Like where's the cheapest place to stay? We do a lot of camping, so that's really not an issue. Like you pay max $30 a night to stay at a national park in the campground. Um, But we do a lot of camping and airbnbs if we have to and we'll just find the cheapest thing we can um because we want to spend money on the things that matter if we go on an excursion like a fly fishing guide or something we will um but really we just want to go for the most amount of time while spending the least amount of money um so yeah camping planning ahead we also cook all of our own meals so we'll bring a cooler and just bring our little camp stove even if we're staying in an airbnb (laughs) we will bring our own meals and that helps a lot because we'll just bring like hamburgers or something and just have hamburgers two days and cold meat sandwiches tell about that story when we were in yellowstone cooking hamburgers oh my god okay yeah so we again we cook everything and so we were in yellowstone that was almost that was two years ago already um and we were like okay we need to find a picnic table whatever to cook and we went and sat at this picnic table in yellowstone and all of a sudden well one okay let's address this first i am terrified of bears it does not matter if bears are like not even in the area i'm concerned about bears and so yellowstone you know i'm like oh my god there's bears like we need to be careful we and need to carry was, our bear spray this was spring so i mean they're really active yeah it was and in all the May. sows have their cubs so and anyway um yeah so we grabbed our camp stove we set up on a picnic table at this little just corner of the park and i hear something in the woods and i'm like jesus christ if it's a bear i swear to god (laughs) and so i like grab everything i'm like we gotta get in the car like we i hear stuff all of a sudden and we're cooking a nice we're cooking a burger like it smells yes an elk walks by like not even <laughs> not even 10 feet yeah, from there's the like picnic a hole table with, like a hole in like the trees like your view and like you just see this elk just like bobbing its head right through the like little <laughs> view that we could see and it was just hilarious awesome. it was terrifying <laughs> um thankfully i have never gotten close to a bear but we're you close been, to those bison yeah okay that yeah ethan you know oh yeah. my god let's go fly fish this river um what was that in yellowstone the fire hole the fire hole river and that was before i really loved fly fishing so i just did it to make him happy <laughs> yeah. and it was raining super it cold was raining. it was <laughs> raining cold and you know all the signs in the national parks say say like stay 30 feet away or 30 yards it's 30 yards oh, it's far <laughs> stay 30 yards away from animals blah 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 well um ethan's fly fishing and all of a sudden freaking buffalo are a whole whole, like five of them not a whole herd and you're still five fishing are within like 20 feet one's right across the river from him and i was like like, sipping from the river yes and i'm like we gotta we gotta move we gotta move and he's like no we don't and i'm like yes we have to move like what are you saying it was a juicy hole and i'm I'm like we're gonna get like rammed and so there's me freaking out we left all was well but i'm i am honestly a freak i'm not gonna lie i'm terrified of animals and like getting hurt in the outdoors um i just i really prioritize safety if any of you are enneagram followers probably not i'm an enneagram six which means i care a ton about safety um so anytime i think that we could get hurt or like if there's a situation that's potentially dangerous i say no (laughs) the sheep we saw 
Oh my gosh. Okay. Too many stories for one thing, but long story short, there was a mountain goat or was oh, it a it was sheep? A, it was a bighorn sheep. Yeah. Bighorn sheep on the trail in front of us. And so I'm like, Ethan, we better let it pass. Like we can't just keep walking towards it. And he's like, no, let's keep going. And I'm like, no. I mean, like I've never seen a sheep before. Like, I'm like, like, it's like, literally going to, I'm like, it's going to butt you off the mountain. We were in Glacier National Park on this trail that literally on the side of a mountain. And I'm like, he's literally going to butt you off the mountain. But it all worked out. Well, do you do you remember when we were all trout fishing and Ethan and I crossed we crossed the stream to get to these better spots and Sydney's like, I don't know, guys, there's cows over there. And Ethan and I go, Oh, it's good. It's gonna be all right. We'll just hit them with, or we'll just tap them with our fly rods if they get a little too close. So Sydney goes, what, fifty yards the opposite way that yeah. we're going. Yeah. Ethan and I are sitting there fly fishing, and next thing you know, the cows just come keep getting closer and closer and this one was so persistent on getting close to us i don't know if he just wanted a drink or what yeah we were in we were in their fishing spot we went running across the stream and it was it was damn near higher than the waders yeah that was i was actually kind of scary i was pretty scared Sydney hooked one 50 yards away from us, too. So we had no reason she, to be over there. She wasn't even watching. No. No, I don't mess with cows. I don't mess with animals that are bigger than me. Yeah. If sure. it's... Yeah, like, there was this little mountain goat in Glacier, and the park ranger was watching it, making sure it wasn't, like, bothering humans. And I was scared of it. And she's like, oh, there's no reason to be scared. They'll just lick you. And I'm like, okay, from then on out, I'm not scared if it's not bigger than me. Yeah. We did see a grizzly though. That was pretty sweet. We you saw did? like six. Yeah. Six in one day Where? in Glacier, Glacier National, Park. National Park. Oh, wow. That's when my fear for bears was reestablished. I actually woke up that morning and I said, Ethan, I'm scared to go on this hike. I'm so terrified of bears. I don't feel good. Like I feel ill. Yeah. I'm so scared. They're, they're huge too. You know, being from Iowa, we don't get to experience that all the time. And I remember when I saw my first grizzly in Yellowstone, I couldn't believe how big they actually are. Yeah, like nothing does it justice until you see it in real life. And we want to move to Montana. Yeah. So I guess um, we'll kind of like, we're going to take us like a full circle, but, you know, traveling for cheap, you know, I'll kind of like sum it up for us. You know, it's a lot of just camping and road know, tripping, road tripping. I mean, if you and somebody else want to do it or like a group of four, like it can be a really cheap trip. Like what was our glacier trips? Any 300 a person for like staying? No. Well, including food stays like gas everything it was less than 500 dollars a person for eight days or nine days yeah so like i definitely say like don't overlook these national parks i mean there's a lot to do at all these national parks and you know there's probably one closer to you than like what we what you think i mean we were just in colorado two months ago now and that was only 12 hours away from us so we drove that in a day and we got to see a lot well and it's not only national parks it's anything like public land public land and state parks and i mean i'm a national park lover so really i aim for the national parks but um really it's any kind of park or overpass or anything that you want to see you can probably do it for cheap there's a way yeah there's always a way so let's kind of get into like what do you think about me fishing hunting and like how do you kind of deal with that <laughs> um okay my only complaint is that everything has to be out about hunting and fishing. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, yeah, I love taking these vacations that we take and fishing for most of it and hiking and being outside because that's what I love to do. But 
when I want to relax and he's like, oh, maybe we should go fishing this day. And I'm like, no, like we were just fishing this day. I mean, fine. I don't care what you do, but um, every, it's always gotta be a yeah, it always has to be about hunting or fishing. Like literally we're trying to plan a trip in September when I don't have a wedding. It's literally the one week in September I don't have a wedding <laughs> and we have plane tickets to use from quarantine. And I said, oh, let's go to Portland. Like, let's go to the coast. I don't know how much fishing we'll do. We want to fish for steelhead in Oregon. Um, and so, but we can't like, bring, we can bring them, but I don't want to bring fly rods on the plane and stuff. Um, but yeah, so we want to go steelhead fishing, but then also I just want to relax and whatever. And he's no. like, no, we got to fish for, or what did he say? Something about, oh, I might want to go like elk hunting then or bear hunting or something. And I'm <laughs> like, no, we've had this plan forever. So when um, hunting comes before me, that's when it's an issue. <laughs> um, but no, most of the time I support it. I definitely think that I don't want to say struggling, but if you're a couple and you're kind of like, oh my gosh, why does my girlfriend not like fishing, but I do so much, find something that like you can do together in in a sense like, okay, I love fly fishing now and it's not my, f I mean, okay, it might be one of my favorite things to do now, but <laughs> I mean, like before it was Ethan would say, hey, do you want to tie flies with me? And it would be something we could do together. I was absolutely terrible at it, but we would turn a Harry Potter movie on and then literally just tie flies for two hours or whatever. And he would have to retie like half my flies. <laughs> but I mean, it's something we did together. Yeah, so it sounds amazing. It's definitely doing something together, especially fly fishing for us. We're both kind of learning. He's way better than me, but we're learning at definitely not at the same pace, but we're <laughs> learning at the same time. And it helps that you know, oh my gosh, we want to go on this one trip together. We want to learn how to do this. And then Ethan can teach me, but then we also have to learn from other people. So it's turned into a hobby that we both enjoy, something that we're learning together. Um, and it just helps when he supports me in what I do so then I can support him in what he does. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of, I mean, that's, yeah, she hit on basically everything that I would hit on. I don't know if there's anything she really missed, maybe more so just like, I think when I was younger, maybe I was just like so adamant about like, we got to go fishing because like we're right here and we got to do it. And it's more like, and I kind of notice it nowadays where I'm not so like hell bent on like just like having my rod in the water and just like trying to fish and like we want to like slam this monster trout or steelhead or whatever. It's kind of like I'm starting to like kind of actually like look up and kind of see like what's around me and like, okay, we actually are in the Grand Tetons fishing, like actually just enjoy the scenery. So. That's something that's kind of Sydney made me more appreciate more so. I also think though, like with fly fishing, it's if you're not good, it won't do you any good to just stick your rod in the water. Yeah. Like yeah, fly fishing for that. us has been a lot of research and a lot of learning. And granted, Ethan does most of the research and then reports back to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're just throwing your rod and like your fly rod in, it's not you're not going to catch a fish like you have to learn the fundamentals of casting and you have to learn how to tie a fly if you want a certain one or go buy them and talk to a fly fishing shop it's a fly shop <laughs> i guess i guess you know the thing is like it is so overwhelming when you start and it's so easy to get frustrated i mean how many times are you frustrated when we first went i mean how many times did it i got stuck in a tree yeah. so many times until <laughs> i learned how to cast yeah and it took someone showing me how to cast like actually sitting down like i got lessons 
and I, I think that's another thing to talk on too is like I didn't you can't always expect to teach like your significant other because like you know like I kind of learned in a different way hold up he would get oh, so yeah. mad at me <laughs> because he wanted to fish, but I was still learning. Yeah. Granted, he was not that great either, but he thought he was. But it was one of those things where I'm like, can you teach me to do this? And he's like, oh, my God, I just want to fish. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how. So, like, you need to teach me if we're going to do this together. I think he got over that quickly, but also he still gets frustrated when like I lose a fly or something yeah. and he just got his rod in the water and I'm like, can you tie a new one on? I can definitely see that frustration. Yeah. Cause so, I, it, mean, I mean, definitely don't overlook like looking at a guide or even like someone who's like, Orvis has a lot of free casting. This is actually how I kind of learned how to cast. Um, one of our local Orvis fly shops had a little class on, I think it's called Orvis 101 and I went to it and just having someone like there to teach you is way better than watching a video. And I know it's like not possible for everybody, but especially especially for casting a fly rod. Yeah. I got I got taught by John Carlson, who we've talked about before, and it's to me it was really important. Even him teaching me and then me going home trying it out myself, it's it was really important for him to be right there for the few first few times that I was fly fishing because you learn so much when you're there and right on the spot learning it directly from somebody well and i'm kind of the type of person i'm kind of good at everything i do like anything i try to do i put my all in it and so it was hard for me when i was learning how to fly fish like i wasn't good and ethan couldn't just make me good (laughs) so i had to work at it and he actually bought me my first fly rod for christmas i think and that's when i really got good because i had my own gear and i could do what Mm -hmm. i want and like in duluth i'll go out for an afternoon by myself and and I fish fe- what i can i feel like you definitely respect the sport more too once you have your own gear yeah not, not just using somebody else's yeah and now i have a heavy weight yeah she got steelhead, for steelhead. so i'm building my gearbox and it's and all fly box yeah it's all going good oh yeah i have a really nice fly box that he got me too <laughs> All of the flies in there are tied by him. I was going to ask, is he filling it up? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I am creative, and I am super good at art and whatnot, but... And you're really meticulous with a lot of things you do. Yes, but I cannot sit down and tie flies. Isn't that crazy? I sit down, and I'm literally like, I can't. It's it's horrible. But look at me. Like, I'm none of those things you just mentioned. Yeah, and you have huge hands. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Ethan's the clumsiest clumsiest. guy I know. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm impressed with you. You know, that's one of those things that, you know, like Cindy said about picking up a fly rod. And I'll say the same thing about, you know, shooting rifles, shotguns, picking up a boat. You know, it's not natural to anybody. No. And I think that, you know, that's one thing that if you're willing to put the work in, you can have a leg up on somebody. Because, you know, it's not like sports. I mean, like, if you're 5'5", five, five, you're probably never going to go be that good at basketball. No. And it's something you you can't just go fly fishing. You have to take it upon yourself to really teach yourself how to cast a fly or yeah shooting clays you know whatever it relates to i i also though i think that when we were first getting started it was great that we went huge like so our first year fly fishing we went to wyoming and we got a guide because we were like okay we want to start fly fishing let's get a guide he can teach us like ethan already knew the fundamentals but i had no idea what i was doing but it was like okay if we actually want to catch fish and we don't quite know what we're doing we need to we need this guy there for us and i think us like going big and wanting to catch those fish 
really helped because that guide taught me how to cast like full on and i still like i still reference what he told me yeah i mean even from the cast all the way to like getting a fish in the net i mean there's a lot to it and like just you know being with a guy i mean he gave us way more chances than we ever would have had fishing anywhere else so Sydney was able to, you know, kind of learn like how to fight the fish, you know, use side pressure. And I caught a cutthroat. You caught a cutthroat and a lake trout. And a lake trout in that same trip, a huge lake trout. Yeah. See, she's always catching the fish. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I haven't caught a lake he trout was, yet. He was so mad when we were with this guide. The guide obviously was like, okay, Ethan, we're going to try to get you on the big fish. Ethan or Sydney, we're just going to try to get you on some fish. Yeah. I caught like seven in a row and Ethan hadn't caught anything because we were obviously (laughs) using different flies because he was trying to get Ethan to catch these huge guys. Yeah. And then finally we were in like our last hour of the trip and he was like, okay, we'll put something on Ethan. And then Ethan started catching them. Yeah. So let's start, you know, do you have anything else to say about wild game cooking before we move on about nothing? I don't think so. No. I, we can talk about that a different episode because... I don't have any specific like recipes to reference. All I know is I'm good. I'm a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> but you like most wild game, right? Like it's yeah. not something that you would like turn away to. I literally had deer for dinner the other day. Like yeah. I think it's just how I was raised too. Uh, right. Definitely. I mean like we eat everything. Yeah, but maybe that was more so like I feel like some people just have a bad uh, image in their head just how they were raised or how people talk about it. I mean, yeah, we just get creative with it. Like we had, you know, like how people would have a steak salad. We had a venison salad. It's nothing fancy. So the next thing I'll talk about, you know, this one that Tyler and I don't really know much about, and that's a leave no trace. You want to like talk about that and kind of enlighten our viewers on that? Yeah. So um, if you've been to a national park, I'm not sure if state parks have it, but you've probably seen a sign that says leave no trace. Um. Because I am a elopement photographer and I really value the outdoors, I decided to become a leave no trace photographer and I actually implement the practices in my business and just as a human in the outdoors. Basically, it's a set of principles or a set of ethics um, just that you should follow when you're outdoors. So um, I'm really doing my best to make sure that as a business owner and as a backpacker, I'm doing my best to leave no trace and leave the outdoors as we found it so that generations and our kids and our grandkids can enjoy the same places that we did as they grow. Um, so really, I'm just trying to minimize my impacts. So the seven principles, one is plan ahead and prepare basically for your safety, research the locations, have a plan, have a safety plan, have a map with you, GPS, whatever you want. Just plan ahead, be safe. Um, Two, travel and camp on durable surfaces. Normally there's allocated places for you to camp. If you're in the back country, just make sure you're on sturdy ground. Um, Three, pack out what you pack in and dispose of waste properly. So obviously don't litter. That one's an obvious one, but that also... um, (laughs) human waste that's a big thing yeah something you see all the time yeah um number four leave what you find and this is a hard one people always want to like pick flowers and take rocks home with them but really what is in nature should stay in nature so take pictures of the flowers don't pick the flowers five minimize campfire impact so a way i do that is i bring a camp stove i don't want to start a fire if i don't have to Six, respect wildlife. 
this is a big one for me because I am so terrified of animals. <laughs> um, I believe that it's their home before ours. Um, so bring your bear spray, keep your distance. The outdoors is their home and we need to respect that. And seven, be considerate of other visitors. I fully believe in making the outdoors a welcoming place and historically nature has really not been for everyone so just leaving no trace that doesn't really pertain to leave no trace but it it's just making the outdoors welcoming for everyone and yeah yeah can you kind of just talk about like why did you get involved with this or why did leave no trace and its relation to like photographers even get started because of issues in some of these parks yeah so actually um i'm I took an elopement photographer course from Adventure Instead and she is based in Colorado or part of her team is and Rocky Mountain National Park actually they used to issue over 2,000 elopement permits so fun fact if you're a photographer if you want to shoot in a national park um, you need to get a permit and they cost money whatever you have to apply for it well just to touch on that I mean even if you want to film a hunt and you're bringing so many people and it's for like a big profit you know like those meat eater guys newberg all those guys gotta fill like plan ahead and actually apply for like a film permit too yeah permits are huge because it's doing your part you know if you were to damage something whatever i hope you're not damaging anything no. if you're using a national park as your studio but um really it's just liability stuff apply for a permit do your part um, well, anyway, Rocky Mountain National Park, don't quote me on this, but they used to issue over 2,000 elopement permits per year. I think it even used to be more than that. Um, as of 2020, I, maybe 2021, I haven't looked at updated numbers. They're only issuing like 200 per year. Oh, geez. Because so many, not necessarily for only photographers, but so many people have been damaging the locations, uh, like popular locations. So if you... Going off trail, you know, like stomping on all the grass and fragile Putting ecosystems in their social media okay that is a controversial topic i do not put my location like a specific location in my instagram you mean like, like longitude latitude he, right no okay but you can you put what park you're in obviously right sometimes but like you know on instagram you geotag and so if i were okay like, Ethan and I have hiked to Dream Lake. It's a very popular hike in Rocky Mountain National Park. Well, I only tag Rocky Mountain National Park or Colorado, and I don't say Dream Lake because the more visitors... I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper to the outdoors, but the... I mean, do your own research, <laughs> but also, like, the more people that know about it, the more it's going to get used, and I mean, the Just ecosystems... Like spots. Yeah. <laughs> ecosystems are fragile, though, and... So yeah, I don't put my exact location just because I believe that do your own research, especially these like backcountry places, like they they need to stay clean and stay pretty. Yeah, and we need to we need to definitely keep keep the environment to what it once was or yeah, close to it. Yeah. So really how I got involved in Leave No Trace um I care about the outdoors. I care about having it for generations to come. And I also wanted to implement that into my business practices just because I am using the outdoors as my studio. And I'm very thankful that I don't have to purchase a studio space or something. Um, so yeah, just, I, I love the outdoors and I love nature and. Yeah. And I don't, you know, Cindy's talking about this in relation to what she does in photography, but 
I think that everybody in the outdoors, you know, being a hunter, hunting angler, you know, just backpacker should always try to implement this. And, you know, I think this is really got a lot of headway in relation to what national parks are, but, you know, just even like going out to your local tree stand, you know, deer hunting or walking around like, you know, your local state park, you know, you should really try to keep this stuff in mind at all times. Well, especially we just got done with our ice fishing season. Um, A big thing I see on Facebook all the time is people leaving trash on the lake. Yeah. Where, where does that trash end up if it's not blown off the lake right right at the bottom? And, you yeah, know, it, we, we can't keep up with that. Just take care of what you brought with you. You especially see that a lot, too. I'm like, you know, Cindy's big fly fisherman and so is Tyler. And, you know, you see a lot of this, you know, a lot of stuff we fish around the Driftless is on easements, which is private land that is kind of given to the DNR to use as public, but only for angling purposes. And, you know, those are really important spots to actually keep, you know, garbage away from and make sure you're being really respectful there because that can be, those guys can take that out of that easement whenever they want. But even like camping, you know, like if you are camping somewhere, even at a designated spot, like don't leave trash in the, uh, the fire pits or like just don't leave trash anywhere and make sure that you are putting your tent on like durable surfaces I just think that it's such a undervalued idea, this leave no trace, and it's just starting to get big, like in the last couple of years. Well, I mean, maybe around here, and I, th- I think beforehand, it used to be kind of like a hippie idea almost, and I think it's kind of gaining more I traction. I am a hippie. <laughs> I think it's gaining more traction because I think people are starting to see like our real impact that we're having on these ecosystems. I mean, a good example, talking about back to the easement, was along the North Shore, there used to be a really popular um, steelhead fishing spot. And that spot got taken away because of people being stupid and leaving garbage around. Yeah, it's too bad. It, it just hurts not only yourself, but everybody else who's going to these places. Just take care of it. And, you know, talking about the film permits, that's kind of an interesting topic because that's kind of really been actually up for a lot of debate recently. You know, people are talking about actually removing them. And where do you stand on that, Sydney? I mean, I think that there should be permits just to support the parks and their use and keeping places safe. I am not a hundred percent sure whatever happened with that like lawsuit. Um, I don't think they're going to take permits away. And I think that it's our duty if we're using them to purchase permits. So I think that they should always be there. And I think that they always will. I mean, like I think if you're making money off a natural resource, you mean you should put money back into it i mean yeah weddings and elopements make me thousands of dollars it's my income like i'm gonna pay 500 bucks for a permit if i need to yeah yeah and that money's going straight to the national park yeah preserve it now the national park service literally has one person a park ranger dedicated to issuing permits they that's their job they go through permits on the daily so do you know with the film permits, is there like somebody who like enforces that? Is that like through the like the national parks? Is it like somebody there enforces it or like conservation officer or yeah. how does it all work? I mean, it's through the national park. I'm not sure what happens if you get caught doing something and you don't have a permit. Um, I've never been asked for a permit, but that's also because I always do what I'm supposed to do. It's different if you're like, okay, thinking of Glacier National Park. Um, I know that when we were there, there was a couple taking wedding portraits and they were literally tromping through the tall grass, the flowers right in this super busy area. So you know what's going to happen. Everyone's going to follow in their footsteps. Yeah. So a big thing is stay on the trail 
but that didn't happen. So if a park ranger, I'm sure, were to walk by, they might say, hey, you're not supposed to do that. Like, here's this sign that tells you not to. Can I see your permit to make sure that you're actually supposed to be here? Where, where do I even apply for a film permit? Um, you can go on the nationalparkservice.com and there's always a section like for any national park or national park monument, I think. Um, you literally just go on the website and type in permits and it will tell you if you need one. It will literally tell you if you qualify. Like if you and I are just going yeah. hiking, we don't need a permit, even though I have a big fancy camera. It's if you are capitalizing on it, it's your business. Like you need a permit. Yeah, I think that kind of, you know, talking about that too, it's really a, should be the photographers like first, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's hard to blame the people who are getting their pictures taken. And I think a lot of it should always be on the photographer for putting those people in those kind of places. I literally have a leave no trace clause in my contracts. Yeah. Because that's how seriously I take this. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that's really should be shown for like everything and not just photography, but I like to see that photographers are taking a step in the right direction and being responsible for their actions yeah it's really interesting i didn't i didn't know about any of this yeah i mean into it i mean it's something like if i didn't know sydney it's something i would definitely overlook and not necessarily give much thought to well because from my perspective i mean you're just going to take pictures i mean how much how much harm could it be but now i definitely see where that comes into play i mean i have literally had couples okay so i have a badge on my website that says like leave no trace photographer and i have literally had couples say like it was between you and this other photographer and yours had leave no trace on it and that's why i chose you wow so i got a question too so i think you've told me this before but let's say that you see somebody another photographer who is not practicing leave no trace what is like your role and like what should someone like maybe I do or you do to like help with that? So this is a complicated question because Leave No Trace was not created to shame people. Yeah. It was not created to be like, oh my gosh, bro, you're not following Leave No Trace. Like get out of the outdoors. No. Especially no. like you're not and like, you know, the Leave No Trace is not supposed to be like you're on a pedestal compared to the no. next photographer. It's a set of ethics that you should follow. It's like me saying, wow, you shouldn't bite people. Like, <laughs> no, it's a set of ethics that you should follow if you don't okay you're being a crap person no it's maybe you need to be educated and i don't think there's a huge there's not education on this unless you're an outdoorsman um so i guess if i were to see someone doing something that they shouldn't be doing i don't necessarily think i would call them out it would be a nudge it'd be like hey i saw you were doing this just keep in mind like that's a fragile ecosystem or maybe you should pack out your trash because it wasn't there before you um but it's not a oh my gosh if you're not doing this like get out (laughs) yeah Yeah. just inform them rather than yes it's a set like it's a set of principles you should follow and a lot of people don't a lot of people do and that's the issue right now we're kind of in a weird like limbo stage i mean no i think that national parks have done their best to enforce you know like make sure that your trash is in a bear box or your food is in a bear box so that bears don't have to be put down or make sure that you're packing out your trash there's signs everywhere so if you're not doing it that's just you being rude (laughs) but there's always like stupid people like we were hiking on a trail in glacier national park and this family from new jersey rolls up like behind us and you know sydney does for extra protection she wears a cowbell when she's walking around for like that extra <laughs> i am a freak about bears I you guys it. yeah i get it yeah i mean like but they're like why do you have a cowbell on and it's like 
I mean, like, couldn't they make some kind of correlation? There? It's not a cowbell. <laughs> You're making me sound like I wear this huge <laughs> thing around my neck. It's a tiny little bell I wear in my zipper. So as you walk, it's not super annoying. It just goes yeah. ding, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding, so that something or someone would know that I'm coming. Yep. And it's not super loud, but it's something, you know, if we're not talking, it's something to still make noise. And this family comes up and they're just like, why do you have a bell? And I'm like, oh, to make noise. Like, we're going on these long hikes. Like, we're in the wilderness um you know like we need to have something to make noise if we're not i mean but also here's me going around every corner going hey bear hey bear (laughs) um but yeah they had no idea they didn't even have bear spray and that's the one thing when you enter glacier national park there's a huge sign with a vicious looking bear on it and it says carry your bear spray and they had no idea they're like what and I'm yeah, like, are, do knew, you not read they signs? They none of that coming into it. Yeah, I mean, so like if they don't even know about bears, like that's the thing about like, they even know about leave no trace. And, and on that trip, we saw six bears. Like it's possible to run into them. Yeah. And it's possible to be put in in a dangerous situation if you aren't prepared. Yeah. So I guess, you know, that's something I think, you know, maybe with like future generations, you know, like our generation included that, you know, maybe you'll see more of this leave no trace. Cause I think it's kind of like an old school mentality that a lot of these people have. And like Sydney said, make sure to inform rather than, you know, just get out. You know, I don't want to talk to you because, yeah. because it might sound so simple to us, but frankly, it could be force a habit or, you know, kind of what we've always done. I also just think that with the rise of, you know, climate change and people caring about the planet and clean water and clean air, there will be a rise in people caring about Leave No Trace. And there already has been. It's not yeah. like people don't care about the planet. It's just this isn't a super common thing yet, especially around here. In all the national parks, there's signs everywhere. There's people who care. But Yeah, I think some of these more of these rural communities or the you know conservative communities, you're starting to... Yeah. You don't see it as much, but... Anything else left on Leave No Trace that you kind of want to mention? I don't think so. Yeah. It's just a fun, it's a fun thing to talk about, a fun thing to contribute to. And I'm glad that I took the course. It's a Leave No Trace photographer course. But really, if you type in leavenotrace.org, like it will bring you to a site that talks all about Leave No Trace and their mission. Like it's an actual nonprofit. Yeah, we'll put that in the link for the podcast so people can check that out. You know, I think it's a really good job that you did educating people on it. And I think that's the biggest thing for that's going to help Leave No Trace grow is education. I've I've definitely learned a lot sitting here listening to you talk about it. I mean, it's something that I've been doing, but I guess I really never put a label on it. But it's important to get more people to hear about it. Well, now you can go the one step further. Stay on the trail. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, stay on the trail. <laughs> what that? Um... No, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that's something you can take into a court, you know, accord with a lot of things. Um. But do you have any other things you want to talk about before we wrap this podcast up? Nope. Thanks for having me and having me talk about the outdoors, I guess. It's a passion of mine and I hope to one day, you know, work for a nonprofit that cares about the outdoors and conservation. So I'm excited that you guys are taking on this journey of this Hunt Fish Conserve podcast and want to educate people and get people involved and... Yeah, so we'll have to talk about that another time about maybe how people can get involved with these nonprofits and some of the work they're even doing at a local level, like your Sierra Club and stuff. With like they're doing a lot of help with the Duluth comp- Duluth area and getting people in the outdoors up there. Yeah, 
and again thanks for coming on i mean it's definitely a big step being our first guest in this podcast because it's definitely new to us and it's not something we're we're pretty nervous looking into making podcasts but once you get on here it's fun it's fun talking and having these conversations i mean i'm not gonna lie i feel like i've been talking forever but i mean it was fun well thank you for being on i mean we'll probably have you on a lot more and talk about some of this other stuff and how photographers play a role in the outdoors i think you know something that a lot of people think you know it's like who uses the outdoors it's like people who hunt fish and i think there's a lot more people that are involved in that ecosystem that need to be represented so I think you got any other plans for the spring upcoming year? You know, what are you doing? You traveling? Um, yeah, I have quite a few trips. I have a wedding in California. I'll be in Portland. I'll be in New York. I'll be in Utah and Colorado and Utah again and California again. <laughs> um, so I have a lot on my schedule. Anything hunting and fishing related? Probably mm-hmm. fishing. S- steelhead in Oregon. No, uh, no turkeys this <laughs> in Minnesota this year. I probably won't have time in May. No, oh, dang. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess you know where. Well, actually, where can we find you on social media? Can you want to plug that up? Yeah, be the plug for me. Um, so if you want to follow my photography account, uh, Instagram is where I am active. So it's at Sydney Brienne Photo. My website is sydneybrienne.com. Find me on Google. Um, if you want to just follow Ethan and I's adventures on my personal, it's at Sid Dahl, S-Y-D-D-A-H-L. Um, I'm pretty active on social media, so. And she's got a fire pit feed is what she always tells Fire me. feed. <laughs> it is. A lot of great pictures. Well, uh, like I said, appreciate having you on. So, yeah, you can always find this podcast on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcast. And that's about it. You know, we'll be posting more stuff on Instagram as time comes, so. This podcast was sponsored by Sydney Brand Photography. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, maybe one was day. Was that it? <laughs> maybe one day we'll get a code or something that people can use. For 10% off a session? Yeah, 10% off a session. We get 10%. We get that 10% back in the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. <laughs> so we can buy some, we can buy somewhere hunting and fish and stuff. <laughs> I, I will not support that fund. All right. Oh. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs>